You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Hello, Gravity Leadership community, podcast listeners. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Yet another episode. My name is Ben Sternkey. There, and I'm here with Matt. That's I'm the here. other voice you hear. There Matt comes Tebby. a time. There comes a time in every man's life mm-hmm. when he has to record a podcast intro. Mm-hmm. This is that time. This is that time. Yeah, hey, Matt, you were just sharing with me that your back hurts. I'm a little you're, sore. You're a little. Uh, you're a little agitated. You know, um, just emotionally. Irascible, yes. Irascible, yeah. You've used that word a couple times. That's a fun <laughs> word. I read it the other morning. Uh, the other morning, in one of my books, I read the word irascible, and I thought of you. I was like, oh, there it is. There <laughs> it is again. My friend Matt. That's what. Well, I didn't think of you because you're. I think of you because you I keep use the saying word. That word. Well, yeah, yeah. So. you know, I think it means like easily perturbed or angry. <laughs> well, uh, anyway. yeah. I mean, one of my one of the things that I think the Lord is maturing in me is the ability to have feelings without them having me, mm. right? Yeah. So there's a sense in which I can feel pain mm-hmm. about my back, and then we're having internet issues, Yeah. and I don't feel like I have enough time to do things today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and all that can be happening, but it doesn't have to be uh, happening to me. It can just be happening, and then I can, I can bear I, witness to it. Yeah, like you are right now. I can record a podcast intro and talk to my friends Here I am. listening. There comes a time in any it. man's life. <laughs> <laughs> but I can introduce it like that. Yeah, today. That's fun. Today, yeah, today uh, we we're, have. Yeah, and we're in the middle of this series on on deconstruction. I wanted to uh, mention mm. that as well. I, th- I don't think we mentioned that last time, but talk about deconstruction. There may be a podcast about how we uh, need to learn how to relate to our emotions differently. Hmm. Totally. It's hard for me to think about right now because my back hurts so bad. <laughs> no, uh, there, no. I think we do need to have a maybe a podcast about what do we do with emotions in yeah. Christian life. Yeah, there's a lot of big stories about what they're for and what they aren't yeah. for, and I think that uh, people either feel like they are superfluous, unimportant, mm-hmm. window dressing, mm-hmm. or that they are everything. Everything, yeah, yeah. Because I was I was just thinking about that, um, and maybe we maybe we are teasing an episode that uh, will come out uh, eventually. But um, my relationship to my emotions is very different. What I grew up, uh, kind of how to how to deal with them. Um, to to the point that I've had people say like oh nothing ever ruffles you nothing gets under your skin and like I'm learning that it's like well I I've learned to project that to you but uh, things do bother me I just have learned that not paying attention to that is maybe the best thing to do just keep moving get back to work 
ignore that. Is that why when I like pat you on the shoulder, I feel like I'm hitting a rock? <laughs> it could be. It's uh, <laughs> metastasized into very tight muscles in my shoulders. Anyway, we are uh, this this uh, podcast episode is it's in our series of deconstruction, um, but it's also with our friends uh, Dave and Beth Borum, who are spiritual directors. They run a retreat house here in Indianapolis. Uh, and they're part of our church, uh, which comes out in the podcast as well. So um, I, uh, I love what they talk about because it's the uh, relationship between um, basically spiritual direction, which is a lot of what they do, and the the experience of deconstruction uh, that a lot of us are going through. Yeah, and I, I said this to them. and I Actually, we had the privilege. Uh, they wrote a book called When Faith Becomes Sight. We're going to yes. talk about that. We had the privilege of blurbing this book. Yeah. Um, and I, I wrote in the blurb that this this book is basically another way of describing what we do at Gravity. Yeah, it really is. It's really profound. And something we're going to do, mm-hmm. we've got an extra copy of this book. Yeah. And it's signed by the Borums. Yeah. And we want to give it away with this podcast. So if you like or retweet this podcast, if you send it out uh, from, from Gravity, mm-hmm. we will enter your name in a giveaway. Yes. And then we'll give this book away. We'll give it away to you. It's a really, really good book. It is. They're, they're uh, wise and profound uh, thinkers with a ton of experience uh, just in helping people pay attention to what God's doing in their life. Um, it's a really beautiful ministry that they have. I'm excited to bring Should it to you. Should we just get right into it? Do we just I think we can. Cut to We're, the chase? Yeah. There's, uh, there's stuff coming up if you want to connect with us. Uh, the Parenting in Grace and Truth workshop in Lansing, Michigan. Yeah. Um, we do that uh, in addition to... Uh, Enneagram workshops, uh, those are coming up. I think we're doing we're doing a ton of stuff in Michigan uh, this spring, uh, which yeah. is interesting. Doing Enneagram in Lance, no, not Lansing, uh, Holland, Michigan, Western Michigan. Yeah, and then we're doing something in Kalamazoo in April. Uh, so, anyway, that's all in the show notes. You can look us up. Uh, hopefully, you can find a, a place to come and meet us. Also, just to say, we're always starting new cohorts with uh, Gravity Leadership Academy. It's part of what supports our ability to do this podcast, yeah. uh, is the folks who um, apply for and uh, become part of that uh, educational and formational uh, opportunity that we have. And so, if you are interested in that, um, there's always links in the show notes. Um, check it out. Reach out. If you have questions, we'd love to chat with you about it. And uh, we'll go from there. All right. Get ready. Get, get ready. Dave and Beth, here they are. Dave and Beth Borum, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here, guys. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Dave and Beth Borum, um, they are... Uh, regular attenders at the table, the church that Ben and I co-pastor, co-rector. Mm-hmm. Rector is a weird word if you're not in the Anglican. Yeah, just it's co- it's pastoring. It's is co- basically <laughs> what we're doing. So, yes, co-rectoring sounds like something you would um, maybe. It's like a, it always reminds <laughs> me of like an erector. Yeah, yeah, an erector <laughs> set. Move on from that one. Like Legos, <laughs> like we're building something with Legos. Anyway. Uh, oh, let's, let's just yeah. let's just start this over. Yeah. Hey, Dave and Beth Borum, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. <laughs> We um, are glad to be here. Yeah, so Dave and Beth are friends of ours. We've we've known them for just about a year. It seems maybe a little longer than that, but um, they they are. We've known about them for a long time. I remember I was telling these guys the other day that yeah. uh, they they sort of a lot of people when they come to our church and they hear the kind of the way that we talk and the way that we're you know uh, the way that our faith is kind of shaped. They would always say, "Do you guys know Dave and Beth Borum?" And we'd always say, no. no. So a lot of people knew who they were, yep. knew who you guys were, and uh, there was a lot of resonance uh, with apparently what they were hearing at the table and what they hear from you. And so it's yes. kind of fun that we, uh, we, we got hooked up now. It's yes. Fun. And I, I'll just say this. We're gonna t- we, you have a, a new book out, When Faith Becomes Sight, and we're going to talk about that book later in the podcast. But I'll just mm-hmm. say that when I read it for the first time um, last fall, I had an early, um, early release copy of it. I it struck me profoundly that you guys used different language to describe the exact process that we train leaders in at Gravity. Yep. Um, and so it's it's uh, it's almost like it's almost like you 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 find this treasure map, 
and you start digging towards the treasure. Mm-hmm. And, and like five years into digging, you find two other people who have been digging to the same spot from another place. And you you have this like little party in your tunnel because you're like, I didn't know anybody else knew about this treasure. I thought I was alone. Yeah. So anyway, that's how I felt uh, when I read your book. But uh, we'll get to that. But let's, let's back up. Would you guys just give an introduction to um, what you spend your time doing and where where you what you what your ministry is centered on right now? Sure. Yeah, we um, we are sitting here in a wonderful setting called Fall Creek Abbey, which has been in operation for seven and a half years. It's a small urban retreat center near downtown Indianapolis, and we spend our days meeting with individuals, offering spiritual direction as well as hosting individuals who come for half day, full day, overnight retreats. And in addition, we provide a really lovely space for small groups and teams to come and do good work together uh, in this space. So lots of hospitality. And then uh, probably one of the big pieces too is that we offer the School of Spiritual Direction, which is a two-year training program for people who are interested uh, in learning the Ministry of Spiritual Direction. Yeah. So that those two words, spiritual direction, mm-hmm. uh, they're they're kind of new in the Protestant consciousness in the last I don't know decade or so, um, and I, I think most of us have an awareness of what discipleship is. Sometimes we describe what we do as coaching or or spiritual formation or or, or spiritual training. Right. But can you can you give us a, a brief synopsis of what is spiritual direction and maybe how you first encountered it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we didn't encounter it for decades into our walk with God as well as our vocational ministry. Um, But yeah, it's kind of on that continuum like you described, Matt, of uh, discipleship and therapy and counseling and coaching, you know, these one-on-one companioning relationships where there's presence, support, listening, Hmm. uh, and hopefully we've all benefited from those. But spiritual direction has, it shares a lot of those features, but has a unique focus of listening with and for a person of what God is inviting them to at this particular moment in their life, mm-hmm. in their ordinary life. And so it's not about theology. It's not about agendas or programs. It's about what is God up to in your life or what is God not up to in your life? It might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, it's more of a prayer focus, but not in a narrow sense, in a very large sense of what does it look like to listen to God and to hear from God. Yeah, I, I'm I'm struck by that because I I, lo- I love that focus because it assumes, like a few of our axioms, it assumes like number one, God is already present and at work in your life. We're mm-hmm. we're learning to pay attention to it. We're not like kickstarting God. You know what I mean? Like we're we're learning to pay attention to what's already happening. So we trust that God's already present at work, which I which I like, and then also that God cares about uh, my life uh, more than I do, and that He's actually calling me into something. I don't have to get His attention or you know wake uh, Him up. Yeah, beg Him to act or do something for me. Um, so I, I I love that. I love that. We would call those our spiritual or theological assumptions. Yes, that we have these assumptions that are the foundation of spiritual direction. And that would be, those would be examples. And a lot of times people get the wrong idea that spiritual direction is sitting down with a director and having that person tell you what, what direction you need to go. They direct you. Yeah. But in reality, what you just said, Ben, is that it's really helping a person discover the spiritual direction that is within them. Mm. How is the spirit directing you, leading you, prompting you. Yes. Um, yeah. Wonderful. There's something strangely comforting about that. I think that so much yes. the emphasis in formational literature is about our part of kind of yeah. us working our part of the equation. And yet, if you've read the book, the last chapter on night work, is that there's this work of God beneath even consciousness that God is more involved beyond what we're aware of. And we can kind of be carried by that and relieved that it's not all on our shoulders. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I'm struck. I've I've had so many meetings with people as a pastor, and what they want is for me just to tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. They're looking for someone who... 
they actually want me to become sort of the voice of the spirit or God. And and frankly, there's times in my life when I was fine with that. Sure. <laughs> like, you know, either my ego needed that or I was just unaware about how unhelpful that would be for them if I became their guru. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm what 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 a phrase occurs to me as you're talking about spiritual direction is you sit with people and leverage your faith to build theirs. So you you bring your faith capital and you believe on their behalf that God is maybe doing and speaking and moving in ways that they can't perceive yet, and then build their faith uh, by coming underneath them to help them listen. Is that is that a good picture of what spiritual direction is? I think that's, it's a very good way to put beautiful. it. I've never heard it put that way, yeah. but I really like that, Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so you guys didn't pop out of the womb being spiritual directors, right? I mean, <laughs> you came up, you came upon this lately, uh, late later in no, life. No, we did actually, Matt. So, we uh, popped out of the womb. Did that you? Way. <laughs> Fully grown adults. Weird. It was really weird. Yes. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Your mom was like, "Well, where'd you get that Ignatian book?" Yeah. And uh, you know, <clears throat> um, no. So t- tell us a Why bit. Why do you about have your... gray in your beard? Why do you have a beard? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your journey. I know that both of you spent some time pastoring in a, in local churches, yes? Yeah. Yeah, I, I can tell you even what prompted my engagement with a spiritual director for the first time, which kind of has to do with that. This took place probably 18 or 19 years ago. It was the first time that I had actually heard about spiritual direction at the time, I was on staff, and David was as well, in pastor, a pastoral role at a megachurch. Things were quite intense during this season. The church had doubled in size a few times. Wow. Um, you know, I was leading a women's ministry. of More than 500 women would come weekly to a gathering. Oh. Um, and I remember one day sitting down and kind of journaling some thoughts about my own life. And I had this awareness. In fact, I drew a picture. I include this, I think this story in, in the book, but I drew a picture of what felt, what it felt like inside me, kind of what my heart was like. And it was the picture of a divided heart. Like hmm. on one side, I, I knew that I had a good heart, that there were things that I desired that were God's desires as well. Yeah. And then on the other side, I was really aware of this uh, propensity toward pride and ego and performance and things that um, I was I was stymied by. Couldn't understand how how to reconcile these two sides of myself. I just didn't have language at that point. Hmm. And so a friend of mine had mentioned to me that she had gone through some training to become a spiritual director, and I asked her what that was about. And so. I said, you know, I think I would benefit from meeting with a spiritual director. Hmm. So I set up an appointment with someone and met for about a year and began to find some language around the false self and true self. Yeah. What it meant to get more in touch with the self that God has created and desires me to grow into. And that began a really different uh, trajectory in my spiritual life. Truly that idea of living from the inside out in a more authentic way. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. So so then it sounds like spiritual direction was, ab- you, through that, you were able to give God access to places in you that you felt like were hindering or resisting His Spirit and His work, hmm. but the, the tools and architecture that you already had in your toolkit were unable to get at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So much of the focus, I think, in our particular context and <clears throat> of, of uh, an expression of Christianity was more on the belief and behavior side of things. Oh, yeah, believe yeah. the right things, behave the right way, and you'll be good to go. And yet there was this whole world within me that I didn't know how to make sense of. And that's really what spiritual direction does. It helps us to make sense of what's going on within us. Yes. Mm. And as we do that, we can live a more authentic life. It doesn't make everything disappear, by the way. It doesn't all of a sudden resolve all those issues. It simply gives you this ability to say, aha, there that is. And you can be present to God with what you discover, and yes. that makes a big difference. Well, if it doesn't solve all my issues, I think I'm out. Um, 
you know, <laughs> no, I thought, do I thought stop. this was the answer. <laughs> I thought we were interviewing you guys because we finally figured this out. No, uh, <laughs> just kidding. No, that's, um, uh, yeah, that, uh, I, I was going to say something else, but, uh, well, he, I got distracted by my own joke. Anyway, <laughs> I'm distracted by the it fact that was a good that joke, Matt. <laughs> we're wearing, we're wearing the same thing today. Oh, we are, right? yeah, yeah. We're kind of, uh, we, we match. I'm distracted by that now, but. <laughs> What what you were saying, Beth, is that there's there is this promise that if you get your doctrine straight, your deeds will follow, mm-hmm. and if you get your deeds right, then you know all the doctrinal questions will resolve themselves. And when we have doubts about you know whatever, maybe science creates a faith crisis for us. Maybe evil and suffering create some sort of doctrinal problem. Well, God's good all the time and all the time God is good. Why does my daughter have leukemia? You know, these kinds of things happen. Or we have a besetting sin or you know, maybe even like you described, like this pride just won't go away and I've prayed about it 6,400 times. What, what, it, what it ends up doing, I think, is it ends up giving us a faith crisis. We think yeah. that Christianity doesn't work or God isn't real. Yeah. Um, and part of the work you guys are doing in this book, When Faith Becomes Sight, is giving people maybe who are at that breakpoint hope that maybe you're in a place, you're in a liminal space of transformation, and, mm. the, and the process, maybe Dave, you can talk about this. The third part of your book is about what Beth just mentioned, looking within into this place that terrifies us. Mm-hmm. It really terrifies us. This place of desire and want and affection. Can you speak a little bit about maybe why that scares us so much and why that's such a crucial piece to our formation? Yeah, I think it, what comes to mind is our formation is about our whole person. It's not just about, you know, you, you reference being and doing. I think at a certain yeah. point, you know, if we're reasonably intelligent, we're, we're faithful, hardworking, you know, we, we figure out the doing side. and um, But the being side is... It's more vulnerable. It's less. Uh, it's more particularized to, to us as an individual. It's not like I can't tell you, Matt. Like, well, this is what you need to do to be Matt. <laughs> yeah. Only, only you can discover that. Mm-hmm. And so it is a bit of a lonely journey, but it's an interior journey. And uh, <clears throat> I think we've been programmed to be really suspicious of our interior life as well. Um, hmm. You know yeah. the. What's the what's the verse? Uh, the heart's deceitful. Uh, who can Above understand all else, it? Yeah, and so yeah. we, we we begin often with this presupposition that deep in my core I'm flawed. I'm evil. I can't trust what I hear. I can't trust what I want. Yes. And um, so I think the book begins to give some permission to uh, explore some of those regions that have been ignored or twisted. Yeah. yeah, yeah. that's our relationship to our desires, right? We either have a spirituality where it's like, whatever I want must come from God, uh, so we, we name it and we claim it, or Dave, maybe, maybe more prominent in, in the circles I've run in, maybe you too, is that actually your heart is so wicked that every desire you have uh, needs to be crucified. Right. Right. You need to mm-hmm. suppress it, yeah, so deny we, it. Yeah, yeah, so the promise is either you, if you kill your desire, you'll find abundant life, or if you fulfill desire, you'll find abundant life. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that you talk about in your book is actually desire needs to be discerned and shaped by the love of God, mm-hmm. which is a practice that we aren't proficient in. And it's a practice that I think spiritual direction helps get at, and you talk about in your book. Um, well, desire becomes a meeting place with God. It doesn't mean that God magically grants us everything that yeah. we desire or want, but as we experience that it is safe, it is real and authentic to be honest with ourselves and with God about our desires. It becomes a meeting place, a really intimate, vulnerable place to be honest about. Mm-hmm. Ground zero, what do I most want and long for? Yeah. yeah. This yeah. is what we mean by God is so real, he most fully meets us right. we really are. Another one of our axioms, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that we, we have to get real about, uh, especially those things, not, not just real about what I believe, you know, or what I think I believe, uh, or you know uh, how I behave or how I feel, but like what I want is—it's uh, a deeper place for us that that we live from. I think Jamie Smith was helpful uh, in in his book. I don't know if you guys are familiar, but his book "You Are What You Love" was really helpful in kind of giving us an anthropology that helps us realize: oh, we actually live from this place of our desires, and so becoming aware of them with God 
and inviting and be, that becoming a meeting place, you know, where we meet with God. It's actually a more authentic place for us to to be rather than just living in the realm of what I think or how I behave. Yeah. If yeah. we don't, they will come out, but they'll come out sideways. Right. They'll come out in ways that sabotage yeah. us. They will inflict yes. our desires in really kind of twisted ways on others. So we've got to own our desires. Yeah, yeah Dave. Go ahead, Beth. I was just going to say, you can't talk about desire without talking about emotions and feelings. That's right. Which is another dimension of what we address in the, the third part of our book. And that, again, is just this... Scary. You know, the scary <laughs> <laughs> field to to dig in because it's so messy and so um, difficult because we can't change our feelings and emotions. So how do we relate to them? But I think what we really try to do is teach the reader to befriend those feelings, to welcome them, to be hospitable because while they make terrible masters, they're important messengers. And so our Come emotions on, and our feelings really have something to tell us. And mm, yeah. it would behoove us to pay attention to those feelings and emotions and uh, allow them to, to reveal to us some things that are going on within us that God would want us to know and even be with us and be present to us in them. That's good. As Beth was telling her story about meeting with a spiritual director the first time, I, I hadn't thought about this in a while, but um, when I met with Nancy the first time, I, I kind of felt led to, Nancy is our spiritual director. <laughs> we both meet with the same spiritual, and I don't know if that's allowed or not, but uh, we're, we're, it's we're working out, it's working out okay so far. <laughs> but I, I, I sense that I'd like a meta theme for my spiritual direction for a season, and I told Nancy that uh, I would like to learn to weep. Mm. That was my meta theme. Mm -hmm. And for the next 12 months, as I <laughs> met with Nancy, we never talked about weeping, but I wept every time mm. I met with Nancy. And there would be something out of my ordinary life or something out of my past that would come forward. And it was just a gift to have not just talk about emotions, but have a, a space that was safe enough to experience emotion. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you, so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission, and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. Yeah, you know, wow. Christian leaders, we don't, we don't have any spaces where it's safe for us to cry. Mm. I mean, wow. most spaces uh, we are we are entrusted with providing some kind of leadership or guidance or authority, and we have this pejorative notion about weeping or tears or mourning that it's somehow weak or out of out of control <laughs> or not of benefit. Um. And I was thinking about this too, Beth, when you said something about emotions, like we have to, we, we talk about facing and befriending, and you talked about uh, some of the same language. Um, somehow, this is just baked into my bones, somehow, like, I, I agree with you, but there is this latent uh, suspicion about emotions, that they're untrustworthy, that they're fickle, that, that they're some, they're, they, they have some... They don't have as much cachet or capital as my rational thoughts. You know, rationality is where it's at. Emotions are coming and going, and you shouldn't be governed by them. And so what I think what the work that's done in me is to made me to be less vigilant about them yeah, and to not tend to them as part of who I am uh, and live under the illusion that uh, my thoughts don't I'm sorry, my emotions actually don't impact my thoughts when they actually do. <laughs> like right. research tells us that we, even the most rationalistic people make thoughts based upon their emotions that give yeah. them thoughts. 
Yeah. Mm. You know? Mm. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, too, what a gift. Like, you know, you, Matt, you were saying we don't have spaces. And obviously, you know, like, there are there are times when, it you know, you can't be you can't be leading and crying all the time. You know what I mean? I was just thinking like, what a gift, Dave, that you had someone to sit with you, right? And to bear witness to that, where it wasn't just you alone, but it was somebody sort of legitimizing your your weeping, you know, and bearing witness to your weeping and being with you in it, almost as an icon of God's presence with you in, yeah. in the midst of it. Um, That's right. And that, that, that I think is a huge gift, a huge need for leaders to have a space like that, you know? Yeah. I was surprised at my weeping many times. I I had no idea that I needed to weep. And Hmm. I remember this one, (laughs) there was a sparrow building a nest on my front porch here. And I was just kind of watching it do its thing. And as I reflected on it, it brought back a really vivid, painful memory. And uh, so as I was and I don't know that I wept as I reflected on that little sparrow building its nest. But then when I was describing, when I had the space to even verbalize this very kind of inane experience, all of a sudden hmm. the emotion came, hmm. the weeping came. Wow. And, um, yeah, I think we probably carry a lot more of that kind of emotion than we even realize. And it catches us off guard. It does. Yeah. Because we've rationalized, like, here's why that shouldn't matter to me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you, you, you even described it as inane, where it was like this, this experience that was painful for you, you probably found a way to just, to, like, explain it away. Here's why that shouldn't hurt me. Here's yeah, why that's, that's small. I shouldn't really be concerned about that. Yeah. You just um, spackle over the mold yeah. and keep building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's well, great. Well, Dave, the thing you just described there, so I, we kind of started at the end of your book, When Faith Becomes Sight, uh, with, with looking within. But you build to that by um, looking for and then looking through are the first two sections of your book. And what you just described, that sparrow moment, would be an example of, of looking for. Uh, right? Looking for God in the mundane, ordinary highways and byways of life. Would you, maybe one of you say a little bit more about how we miss or how God is at work in places that we may not see immediately? Sure. Yeah, I think what we provide for the reader are some phenomenon that they might not typically recognize as signs of God. And we go through several, like a shimmering attraction or a transcendent moment or slender threads or the fertile void, which is maybe one of the more unusual chapters. I love that one. (laughs) I did. (laughs) So I think what they are identifying is that in our very ordinary lived experience, we can have these not to be cliche, but kind of burning bush moments that we simply walk by because we don't think, now why is my attention being drawn to that sparrow building the nest and I feel something stirred within me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we're we're trying to help people realize that when you have one of those experiences in your as you're going about your life, that that indeed may be God's spirit drawing your attention and wanting to connect something Hmm. with your life and with your life in God. So a way that God speaks to us or a way that God wants to even address us so that we feel seen by God or that we actually in a transcendent moment is when we, we see God, we have this like, aha, that there is something beyond uh, all of life that is holding everything together. Yeah. So, yeah, we think it's terribly important that yes. we don't just assume God only communicates through a couple channels, but actually there are all kinds of channels you can tune into and that God, by God's very nature, is um, uh, uh, revealing, hmm. a, uh, uh, self-revealing God and wants so much to be known by God's people. Yeah. Ahead, and Dave. we had one of those. We had one of those was, moments yesterday. I was just going to say this. I was just going to mention yeah. this. So yeah, we're, one of the. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, we we uh, we're recording this during Advent, and um, I just came back from Fall Creek Abbey uh, at an Advent retreat. 
Um, and a few days before this, somebody had emailed us, um, the Gravity Leadership Podcast email, and just said, hey, just really thankful for your ministry. It was one of these encouraging emails. Um, I, I forwarded this to you. Or, I got I it. Know, you got that too. Yeah. So we got this encouraging email, and then um, we were all introduced, we came to this, you know, the, this Advent retreat. There was, I don't know, four or five of us in the room there, and um, everybody's introducing themselves. We're having lunch, and then we're going to spend the afternoon in retreat. And uh, this guy introduces himself, and I'm like, I recognize that name. And it's the same guy who emailed us. Shut the front door. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's the same guy who emailed us. He was he signed from up Champaign for or, yeah. from Champagne. He's from out of town. He's from Champaign, Illinois. And he um he was there. He was right there in the Did he know the, who you were? Yes. He was like, Oh, I recognize that voice when he came in because he listens to the podcast. I was like, This is this is a slender thread. Yeah. So it's a good reminder for me. I actually meant I, I need to email him back and just say just basically explore this, right? As a slender thread to be like, well, that's odd. Yes. Well, that's amazing, right? What he said too that was so interesting. He had emailed me and was trying to make the advent retreat work. That's right. And he yeah. waited too long to sign up and so they were all full. So then he said, "Hey, if you get an opening, mm-hmm. you know, let me know." And he was feeling within himself this need to take a retreat. So he had set Thursday as the day to do it. We had a cancellation on Thursday. And I, so I wrote him and said, by the way, we've got a cancellation on Thursday afternoon. He said, I'll take it. Yeah. So like he drove that day. He was like, yeah, it's fascinating. So anyway, that, yeah, that's an, that's an example. So it's, it's, it's all that slender thread, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to follow the slender thread. I'm going to pull on it and see, (laughs) see, uh, I think that's it. Can we have fun with the slender threads? Can, you know, can we, can we re-engage with those moments that maybe in our two adult version, we just dismiss as kind of a coincidence and, you know, just kind of blast on by, but can Mm -hmm. we tug on that thread with some real, Yes. Well, I've heard Merton describe that he entered into a period of his life that was post-analytical naivety. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're all born with a certain naivety, especially if we're in a faith community and there's this kind of concretized version of what the story is about. Yeah. And then we go through our college in this analytical phase and we tear everything apart and, you know, kind of demystify everything. And many of us kind of, we stall out there. Yeah. There's a beautiful opportunity then to enter into this phase called post-analytical naivete. And Merton mm. had it in spades in his poetry and his yes. writing and his exploration of the world. And those slender threads, I think that's a way we can re-engage with those. Of, I wonder what is yeah. happening here. Yeah. Yeah. Not, where is God in this? Right, right. And I, I love how you've described that, where it, instead of just explaining it away, like, ah, you know, coincidences happen, you know, people run in the same circles, blah, blah, blah. Um, or sort of loading it up with a bunch of freight. Now, oh, this means this has to yeah. mean something really profound. But yeah. no, like I, I hear you describing a more playful posture. Like, yeah. let's have some fun with this. Like that wasn't that interesting. And you, you know, he only lives a couple hours away, and you know, like I, I got to hear a little bit of his story. And I mean, who knows? Who knows where it goes? Maybe um, it's just for our delight. Yeah. It just seems to me that that's one of the things that God delights in and just invites us to share in the delight of that. And yeah. I, I know I sure did. Yeah. I mean, we're delighting in it right now. Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. that's yeah. maybe all there, there is to it. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, so I'm, I'm struck, too, by how many of these moments, whether it's a sparrow on the front porch that I start crying in or uh, the guy who drives from three hours away that meets me at lunch that emailed me last week, that I simply just shrug off. Mm-hmm. Maybe the tears come and I'm like, I'm such a sentimental... I have this shame story I tell myself about it. Mm. Or, um, or or I try to get past it because we've been taught to treat sadness as a disease in our culture. We, mm-hmm. we, we don't see any utility with it. There's no benefit to being sad. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we don't value it. Mm. Uh, like the psalmists do. Um, but then also this, you know, we just chalk up uh, meeting, what's his name, Lester, Ralph, Peter, Jimmy? His name is Jonathan. Jonathan. Yeah. Uh, I was going to get there. Yeah, well. You didn't let me. I just, well, that just, time is, time the, is money. Time is of the essence. <laughs> uh, yeah, this thing with Jonathan, we're like, well, that's a coincidence. Yeah. You know, and we just sort of relegate most of our life as not the arena in which God is working or meeting us. Yeah. And one of the things your book does is it it reinvigorates most of life with the enchantment and wonder that God is present and at work, and then here's how you tend to it. Mm-hmm. 
So it becomes not just ab- this abstraction. Now I circle God is always present and at work on the quiz. No, it, we, it, <laughs> right. you know, it's not just a doctrinal thing that we change, but you actually give us um, handles, your guides to help us re-engage with the enchantment of everyday life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know if you see yourself doing that, but as I read and as we're chatting, uh, that's that's the work it did for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should we talk about looking through? I think bit? we should because because what a lot of people do then, Dave, right? If, without looking through, maybe they notice, hey, God's the sparrow making me cry, right? And and then they jump right to looking within and they tell themselves a story about their sadness or something. Like there's there's quick judgment about it that then they mm-hmm. can slap a Bible verse on it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so for instance, <clears throat> they look at the sparrow. They cry, uh, and then they immediately jump to, uh, but Philippians uh, 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And so, um, right, so let me remind myself of how about how good God is, why I shouldn't be sad, and get on with my day. Um, and I think looking through, another way to say that is looking at your looker, like noticing how you notice and why you notice like that. That unless we do that, it doesn't interrupt sort of this neurotic moral conscience that many of us carry around. So could you say a little bit about looking through? Yeah. Well, the the, the subtitle of that section is the unconscious and conscious lenses that we all put on and have and have been given. And the first one, I think why I wanted to go there a little bit is about our God image. And um, I'm sure you've been in conversation in the podcast with others about how vital this is to engage with our God image. So it's often an unconscious lens. It's often been put on us uh, and yet it's become second nature for us to look through a certain God image. Mm. And so we try to make it simple in many ways that either we have a, a, um, well, I call it a violent God image. What's what we have a little less. I don't know. A harmful, which yeah. violent is harmful. But yeah. Either we have a harmful God image or we have a healing God image. Mm. Mm. And, you know, there's a lot that we have to sort through to get to that point, I think, to um, mm. see is this the God image that's really bringing about the, the healing, the growth, the quality of life that God has promised me? Um, yes. in a, is a reflection of if God is love, then our image of God would be reflective of, uh, of love. And yes. so if it's not, it causes us to, it needs to, to cause us to pause and question why. Yes. Yes. When I, when I talked about a toxic moral conscience, what I mean is a, a conscience that's formed and shaped by sub, a sub-Christian God. Mm. Yeah. A, a yeah. God that doesn't look enough like Jesus. Uh-huh. Um, and, then, and then honestly, we, we bow before the tyranny of that, that image, that imagination. So one of the things we have to look through is we have to be able to reflect upon and reckon with, is the God I automatically relate to in that mm-hmm. moment of telling myself to buck up and rejoice in the sparrow. Is that the God that actually exists? Yeah, that's right. Our spiritual director, when we first started meeting with Nancy, she would occasionally have this phrase where she would refer to the God of your understanding. Hmm. Yeah. And I can remember when she first expressed it that way, I was a little like uncomfortable because, you know, God is God. God isn't the God of my understanding. But over time I began to realize that in truth, that is the God I relate to, right. not necessarily who God is, not necessarily the true God who is love, but it is the God of my understanding that I'm relating to right now. And so in that particular chapter, we help people take a look at the God of their understanding and whether that God matches the person of Jesus. Yes. Yeah, you, you quote, some, you quote uh, 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 Ronald Rollheiser. And he says, the problem of faith is especially one of unbelief among believers. Hmm. And so this process is t- for, for believers to notice and reckon with their unbelief, uh, to notice and reckon with the way that they uh, imagine God incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Well, and I think a lot of times over a lifetime, we outgrow classic theism. And we've been given a certain framework that is orthodox. And yet our lived experience or even just the juiciness and satisfaction and engagement with God is as, as real and <laughs> yeah. present. Yeah. Uh, we long for more, but we can't think our way out of this. I mean, yes. there's, there's theism, there's atheism. And so we're kind of deconstructing that whole thing. Yes. And we struggle to find a way through it. Yes. And yeah. again, I'm not, I'm not pitching spiritual direction, but often spiritual direction is a safe place to um, yeah. be honest about some of these questions yeah. about my unbelief of this yeah. God that I've been told is the one true God. Yes. Yeah, that, that's what I think I appreciate so much about spiritual direction in general and just your ministry in particular. Um, we're, we're in the middle of this series where we're talking about deconstruction because, you know, we, we see this all the time where people are deconstructing kind of these old notions about what God must be like and you know, what faith is and all of that kind of thing. And it's, you know, like you explained, Dave, it's not working for them anymore. But oftentimes they, they, there's a lack of imagination for any other option besides double down, yeah. double down on classic theism, you know, like just, just believe it harder you know, just punch yourself in the spiritual kidneys and just, you know, get back out, get back in there. You know, you get, can do it. Lead get, the lead the Bible studies. Preach get, another sermon. Get back on the horse. Get back on the horse. Make it happen. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of metaphors. I'm for some reason coming up with a ton of them. Um, <laughs> or you abandon the whole thing and you think like my only option is I guess I I guess I don't believe this anymore, right? Um, but I, I I appreciate that there is a and I want to commend spiritual direction i guess yeah. um to if 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 our listeners feel this way yeah. like there is a there is space uh, to explore you know all these doubts and fears and everything else that you might mm -hmm. be experiencing mm -hmm. yeah 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 so yeah, where does a pastor where does a pastor who's been with a congregation 10 years or hmm. he's got three kids he's got a paycheck yeah. uh you know he's got a mortgage uh and where does he go to process? I'm not sure I believe in hell anymore. <laughs> right. Uh, the right. liquor store. Yeah, right. <laughs> net, net, get a Netflix uh, Amazon.com. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we do have ways of handling that, right? We, yeah. we yeah. seek to medicate and numb and distract ourselves. But um, the thing that is beautiful about your book and the ministry you have, Borms, is that there's a tenacious, rugged trust that nothing escapes the love of God that it all belongs, that your doubts and your fears and your grief, even your tears, the disease of sadness that you're yes. scared to death of, that God is more present there than in the 16th verse of the second modulation of that Chris Tomlin song, you know, or in, or, you know, in that, <laughs> or whatever, whatever you're seeking to sort of alleviate that sadness, that God's more present in it than he is outside of it. Yep. Uh, and and your book does a great job of laying this out. Um, we've never done this before, but we actually have a signed copy of your book that we're going to give away uh, at, with this podcast. So if you uh, you'll see this on social media, if you like and retweet it, you'll be entered into a, a giveaway, and we'll select a name at random. And we're going to send you. Uh, signed copy. A signed copy, not by Ben and I, because that would be ridiculous, but by Dave and Beth. <laughs> Dave and Beth Because we, we know them. We know them, and they've signed a book, and we're going to give it away. And then also to Dave and Beth, if people are, if they find their hearts strangely warmed mm. by this discussion of spiritual direction, um, but they don't live in Indianapolis or anywhere near, are they able to connect with your uh, Fall Creek Abbey uh, virtually or far away? Sure. They can go to our website and there is a spiritual direction tab. And underneath that tab is an affiliates, uh, another tab that will um, give them some names of folks who are really not just within the general Indianapolis area, but um, some who are outside. Hmm. Uh, they can always email us through the contact form as well and share with us what it is they're looking for, where they're located. And if we have some contacts of trained spiritual directors, we would be more than happy to make that introduction. So we, we have a growing network of folks who yeah. are offering this wonderful, safe, loving presence to people, leaders around the country. Yeah. And we're very, very grateful and uh, feel very hopeful for that. Mm, beautiful. 
Well, we're really grateful for you and yeah. the work you're doing Thanks. Uh, and your presence among us. I also went on an Advent retreat. Mm-hmm. I, did, I didn't have the serendipitous meeting you did. Mm-hmm. but I, Are you jealous? Uh, <laughs> my core sin is envy. You know me so well. Uh, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> Is my Advent retreat better than yours? <laughs> I can show you my journal. <laughs> Speaking of core sins... Uh, right. No, uh, yeah. So I had uh, the best Advent retreat, I think. <laughs> but I did, I did weep, uh, Dave, um, on uh, on the bed in the room you provided me, and I hope uh, hope you changed the comforter. <laughs> sorry, about, sorry about that. Uh, no, we uh, we commend uh, the Borms book and their ministry to you. So we'll put the links in the show notes to the Fall Creek Abbey. Also, we'll give away a book, and uh, really appreciate you spending some time. Yes, with you. us. I know you have retreatants at the Abbey right now, so carving out this time is very precious for us. So thanks, Dave. Thanks, Beth. Great to be with Good you night. guys. Thanks so yeah. much for having us. Yep. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.